let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, hundreds of people showed up to a Montgomery County school board meeting this week in protest, and we'll tell you why. Plus, there's a lot of uproar over the newest possible investor in one of DC's biggest sports franchises, the group that owns the Wizards, Mystics, and Capitals. Lastly, we've got 4th of July events for you. I'm here with CityCast DC's Julia Karen and Kayla Cody Zimmerman. Let's round up the news this week. Today's Friday, June 30th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. So I know that we're all breathing in this smoke from Canada, but the smoke from the wildfires is not the only toxic thing in the air in the DMV area recently. Am I right? (laughs) Could not be more true. Yikes. Bridget, tell us about it. Hundreds of extremist groups protested on Tuesday outside of the Montgomery County School Board meeting. So let's take a look at who was there. Largely Muslim and Ethiopian Orthodox parents and also some conservative groups. The Council on American-Islamic Relations was there, as was the Family Rights and Religious Freedom Coalition. Also, Moms for Liberty, which is pretty well known. The Southern Poverty Law Center has named them an extremist group. They're all protesting the school district's decision in March to adopt a no-opt-out policy for its updated K-12 curriculum that includes books featuring LGBTQ plus characters and topics such as the Stonewall Riots by Gail Pittman and Uncle Bobby's Wedding by Sarah Brennan. Uh, So the school board was not even planning on talking about any of this on Tuesday, and they actually had to tighten security ahead of the meeting because of all these protests. Okay, so here's one of my takes on this. So this is part of the language arts curriculum. It's not part of the health curriculum. So if it were part of the health curriculum, like a, a sex ed or something like that, then the parents get the opportunity to opt their kid out, obviously, because like parents feel some sort of way about kids knowing about sex inside, outside their home. That's a conversation parents have with their kids or don't. I understand kind of like the squeamishness generally, but like this is part of like English, like reading books generally. Like, I don't know. I don't think I would ever be able to opt out of a book like, I don't know, like Uncle Tom's Cabin or something like that, right? Yeah, I I, I mean, I really agree with you. Um, I think that when you send your kid to public school, you kind of are – making a tacit agreement with the state that, like, we are going to be in charge of the curriculum of what you teach. There were plenty of books that I would have liked to opt out of. There were plenty of authors that I didn't love that I had to read. I think that if you get into a situation where parents, within reason, are allowed to pick and choose what their kid is exposed to, that's not a matter of the state. Like, you you don't have to send your kid to public school. You can choose a private education that reflects the values of what you want your kid to learn. I think that, like, within reason, the fact that these parents feel that they can say, like, no, not this book, yes, this book. A health curriculum, I don't happen to agree, but I think there's maybe some right. more wiggle room there. But for a language arts curriculum, honestly, if you if you really don't want your kid to be learning this stuff, 
there are plenty of private schools and you could homeschool your kid. There are other educational choices that you can pursue. I think that like the reason why we're seeing this is because nationally we have seen so many extremist groups telling parents that the way to feel empowered about your kid's education is to go and raise hell about the fact that they're reading books by queer authors or black authors or something like that. I think that's why we're seeing this. So they they adopted this policy like back in March, right? So it's actually been several months of protests. This isn't the first time we're seeing. Well, it's the first time we're seeing this many people come out. But there's actually, you know, there's a lawsuit filed against them in May for this exact reason. That's right. So the three families who were suing say that pride books for kids in pre-K to fifth grade were inappropriate and against their religious beliefs. The lawsuit actually argues that the school system is violating their First and Fourteenth Amendments, along with a Maryland state law that allows parents to opt their kids out of sex ed. But again, as Julia said, this is not part of the sex ed or family life curriculum. These are language arts books, right? Also, like, and, and this is like daughter of a lawyer just like sneaking her way in. Like, I don't see anybody complaining about, like, the Iliad or the Odyssey over, like, religious beliefs, right, when it's a completely different religious system. Like, if you wanted to take this to, hypothetically, an extreme, if you're a member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and you only believe in same-sex unions, couldn't you say that, like, every straight relationship, hypothetically, in language arts is a violation of your of your beliefs, right? Like, if you want to take this argument all the way to the end— you could say literally anything is basically against the religion. Now, like, one of the reasons that Montgomery County is getting some heat and some smoke, if you will, for this. <laughs> I see what you did there. I know. I'm, I'm here all week, folks. Is because it's Maryland's largest school district. It's also one of the top school districts in the nation. Like, parents move to Montgomery County specifically to have their kids in these public schools, to have their kids have this very highly touted education. So I understand, like, holding school board members to account and saying, hey, we want the best for our children. And I do think that there are some, like, sincerely held religious beliefs here about, like, hey, like, there are some things that, like, we are uncomfortable about. But, like, at the same time, like, yes, it is public school. And if you're trying to make everyone happy, nobody's going to be happy. And if nobody is happy, like, everyone is happy. Like, at a certain level, there are lines that they can and can't draw. And so... I understand that, like, in the language arts program, yes, like, they might get some flack for this, but generally, overall, like, could you argue against them? Sure. Like, you can try. I don't know that Maryland and Montgomery County would hypothetically lose this case if it really came to a head, you know? So I have a really—I completely agree with you. I have a really strong feeling about this. I think that, as you said, Julia, there probably are parents that have legitimate questions about what their kid is learning in that curriculum, and that should be fine. But— The fact that they are calling in security to deal with these kinds of protests just illustrates that we're not in a place where we are talking about reasonable, measured debate. So I'm sure that that parents probably do have some questions about it. Sure. But the fact that these extremist groups that have a huge national profile, they did this in places like Northern Virginia. This is not their first rodeo. The fact that they are coming and hijacking what might very well be legitimate concerns by by actual parents who have kids in this school district and not people looking to like make a name for themselves getting on Fox News or whatever. The fact that those people have been able to hijack this conversation and essentially pour gas gasoline on it, turn up the temperature on it, is really sad. And so I think that the parents that might actually have legitimate questions or concerns, Mm -hmm. their actual concerns are not going to be able to take center stage because these extremist groups with this very large public profile nationally are getting into the conversation. And so, in, in fact, 
if these parents did have like real reasonable legitimate concerns, which they very well might, having these larger extremist groups in the conversation is certainly not a way to have those conversations heard. Because honestly, schools should not have to call in security to deal with parents' concerns. Parents have had concerns about what their kids are learning in schools since schools began. The fact that they need security just goes to show that we're not in a, a climate where it is normal, regular parents having concerns with school that we're all familiar with. This is something else entirely. Yeah, no, it is. That's a great point. It is a good point. I think the other thing about this is that the largely Muslim and Ethiopian Orthodox parents, like, they probably have a point here. But, like, the idea that you're glomming on some extremist groups and having it be, like, in, I guess, bad faith to, like, hijack the conversation, that's kind of where, like, I lose the plot a little bit. It's one thing for these parents who have the kids in schools and are like, you know what, man? Like, I just want to have a conversation with the teachers. Like, I just want us to figure this out. We have some reservations about this thing. That's one thing. It's another thing if, like, you have people who don't have kids in the school system. Like, how many of these extremist group parents actually have kids in the Montgomery County school system? Like, I would like to know. Right. Tell me where your kids are. Well, it's reflecting a view that, like, isn't actually there, right? Like, it's not actually necessarily a publicly held belief in Moco County. Like, it's somebody else's belief, like, system that is being pressed upon it. It's not crazy out there pieces that we're talking about, like their works that would make up any well-rounded curriculum. And I would think that parents and families can choose what their student wants to take away from that curriculum. I I should hope that they have those conversations on their own as well. David, thanks for chatting with me. So like you and I both have cars in the DC metro area and sometimes they're great, but sometimes they can be a hassle. And I heard you had car issues, man. Yes, my car like me is old and falling apart. (laughs) And so I wanted to get it fixed. But one of the truly unpleasant tasks I find in the world is getting your car fixed because you have to take it usually somewhere extremely distant, extremely inconvenient, arrange some alternate form of transportation. And so I heard about Rota, Rota Rota.com. And I went on the Rota.com website and they will come and pick your car up, take it from you, and then do the work and bring it back to you. And so I made an appointment on Roto, which was easy as pie, beautiful user interface um, for the work that I wanted done. The valet showed up at around 10 o'clock at my house as exactly on time, very easy, just handed him my keys. He drove off with my car. About an hour later, April called me she said, here are some things that we found with your car in addition to what you want to do. She sent me videos that Michael... Wait, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a car nerd, so I like want to know the nitty gritty of what's happening because I, I don't know stuff. A million percent. They sent me this video. There was a particular belt that was had broken and they sent me a video of it and they sent me a list of sort of here are the things that were recommended, here are the things that seemed urgent to fix and I could choose what I wanted to fix and sent that back to them, which took me like three minutes. Michael, the technician, fixed it. They then texted me and said, oh, your car's on the way back. My car was back in front of my house at 2.30. I'd given it to them at 10. It was back in front of my house that afternoon. Also, note, the valet did a much better job parking in front of my house than I do. (laughs) Don't they always? So much closer to the curb. And it was an incredibly pleasant, super easy experience. And they were very trustworthy. 
They were clear about what they were going to fix. And it was incredibly convenient. Yeah. So this like seems like a dream. Uh, I have used them before, but it's been a bit. Would you use them again for something like this? I would like use this? Rhoda again in a second. I would use Rhoda. And they have a discount for us, too, for CityCast listeners. So if you nice. go to Rhoda.com, they have the discount code CityCast20 and you get 20% off. Sweet. Uh, Plots, David, thank you so much for talking with me. Again, CityCast listeners, you get 20% off off any Rhoda service up to $100 using the code CityCast20. So go to Rhoda.com. That's R-O-D-A.com to book your appointment. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Okay, so let's move on because I hear there's drama elsewhere going down in D.C., right, Julia? Listen, uh, extremist parents group aren't the only people who want smoke. As it turns out, the Qatari Sovereign Fund also is looking for some smoke. They are looking into buying a minority stake in monumental sports and entertainment. This is the Ted Leontis-owned group that owns, you know, the Wizards, the Capitals, the Mystics. The entire portfolio, so, like, including, like, the stadium deals and the TV stuff is supposedly worth around, like, according to Forbes— four billion, with a B, dollars. It would also make it the first foreign sovereign fund to own a piece of a major U.S. sports franchise. This isn't the first time that, like, Qatar or Middle Eastern countries have had interest in, you know, business decisions going down in D.C., particularly in sports. When the Capitals were on their way to winning the Stanley Cup in May 2018, Qatar donated $100,000 to the downtown D.C. bid, uh, the Business Improvement District, and it directed that same amount to the Metro because you might remember that like Metro was not functioning and could not stay open past 1130. But people were like, we want it to stay open till 1 a.m. They donated money to that. Uh, to be fair, was I a beneficiary of that? You bet I was. Like, of <laughs> course, I'm going to take your money and ride the Metro when I want to ride the Metro. The other thing here is if Qatar gets involved, it could affect Ted Leonsis' ability to buy the Washington Nationals. Major League Baseball doesn't have a rule for foreign investment funds. So this is kind of like uncharted territory here. Like, we don't know, like, what is going to happen? The NBA board is reviewing this whole thing. This same Qatari sovereign fund owns a stake in Paris Saint-Germain, the French soccer team. And you might remember that Qatar spent $220 billion on the World Cup that took place. So a lot of people are coming out and saying that this is sports washing. Do you guys know what sports washing is? Ever heard of it? Please explain. I have never heard this word. <sighs> never heard of it. Okay. So basically, this is using money and sport as a way to distract from human rights abuses. Candace Buckner of the Washington Post goes absolutely in <laughs> on Cutter and basically says, like, monumental sports is one of the best places for women and LGBTQ plus people to work. So like, if Qatar buys this, like, 5% minority stake, is this just lip service? 
uh, from Ted Leontis. She has this fabulous quote. Monumental sports and entertainment's pursuit of Qatari money signals the company is okay with all of this, confident that, over time, we will still be just fine with buying tickets to watch Alex Ovechkin or showing up to Capital One Arena when LeBron James comes to town. It's kind of like the beginning and probably not the end. I don't know. What do you guys think about getting a 5% stake from Qatar in MSC Sports? I think that all the issues that you raised are really valid, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes me want to have, and this is not something that I have expertise on, so someone else can fill me in if they if they do. It makes me want to have a larger conversation about investments and money in sports mm. more generally. Because I feel like it's very easy to say, like, Cutter has all has this like record of, you know, bad stuff. Like, should we shouldn't be turning the other way? And absolutely I totally agree. But then let's have that conversation in sports more generally. I'm sure if you pulled the thread of where the money is coming from, you're likely to find some stuff that is less than savory there. So like either let's do that conversation more broadly or we have to kind of accept that, like, this is a thing in sports. Like, I don't know. What do you what do you all think? Kayla, got any thoughts, feelings, comments, concerns? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, you know, besides being the occasional fan, like, I really, I had no idea this was all going on behind the scenes. So I think that kind of speaks to the fact that, like, yeah, it's like, it's not super public knowledge. <laughs> like, it's not super out there. And that means that I'm sure a lot of strange and unsavory things can happen but like as a fan like does this what does this mean julia like how will this actually change anything for us or is it kind of just like a niche investor topic you know so i think it depends a lot on where your values lie as a fan of a sports team generally like I think part of this is that Ted Leonsis is seen as like this good guy owner who, you know, has heavily invested in the mystics, has heavily invested in the community, is generally thought of as like a good, quote unquote, owner compared to like Dan Snyder, who like we've ragged on the show about him before. (laughs) Everyone hates. Everyone, everyone hates him. Everyone is happy he's leaving. But like in that void, there's also this idea of like, okay, so what makes a good owner? What are those owners' interests? Where does that money go to? To be fair, like, if I'm Ted Leonsis, my goal is to make money for my teams. And if that money comes from Cutter, or if that money comes from insert group here, like, you're gonna take the money. People were not complaining about this necessarily back in 2018 when we got to ride the Metro until 1 a.m. What makes it different now, I think, is that people are more focused on it and are like, what kind of values do we want our sports teams and also our owners to reflect? Yes, I think Qatar is a really easy target. They just spent all this money on the World Cup. There was a bunch of human rights abuses that were reported on. All that crazy stuff. But, like, if you peel back the layers of American sports ownership, we should be holding other owners to that standard, too. Like, what happens if you are removing, like, Pride Nights or, like, Black History Month Nights or, like, insert any topic or they're, like, donating to something that you don't like? Are you also going to call out those owners as well? I think it's representative of... What kind of sports team and owner do you want to stand for? And I think people, you vote with your dollar, right? You either buy tickets to go see the team or you don't. And money, in this case, is going to talk a little louder than actual words. And so, yeah, if, if your dollar reflects that, that's the message loud and clear. Thank you for that, Julia. So while we're talking about all of these hashtag American values, Kayla, what's going on with Fourth of July, our yeah. nation's birthday? It's 4th of July this weekend. I I cannot believe it's here already. So, you know, there's a lot going on this weekend. Depends on how much of a crowd you're looking to fight. 
I think there's obviously the classics. We have fireworks going on on the National Mall. We have it over the waterfront. We have the Independence Day Parade, uh, which goes down Constitution Avenue. That has bands and balloons. It's huge. All of those things, you're going to want to get there far in advance or get somebody to sort of stake out a spot for you. There's also the Capitol Fourth concert, which is like this national concert that's on TV that your grandmother probably watches every (laughs) year. But you could go to in person uh, at the Capitol for free. So those are all like the big, you know, 4th of July hitters, I'd say. Having lived in D.C. for many years now, I'm not positive I will be attending any of those. (laughs) But there's lots of smaller things going around town as well. Uh, You have a lot of different rooftops and restaurants that are opening up their roofs that you can go watch the fireworks at. Of course, they're not free. A lot of them are actually quite expensive. The cheapest one that I found so far is the rooftop at the Morrow Hotel. Um, I think it's $35. You don't really get anything, but there is a DJ and you can buy drinks and it's a beautiful view. It could be worth it. Then you can go all the way up to things like there's a, a cruise on the Potomac that you can take that's, you know, $300. And oh, that, my God. That's Yeah, I mean, that's on the lower end. There's like, you lower can really end? get up there. Yeah. You want to be on a boat on the Potomac? It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. Okay, can I step in as like the oldest person in this conversation? Listen to me. I know that you want to like oh flex boy. for the gram and be on a rooftop. It is not worth it. You will have so much more fun doing something low-key, I promise you. These all sound like a lot of fun, but it's like it's like going out on New Year's Eve where it's like, wow, I just paid $150 to fight with my date and then go home <laughs> sad in an Uber, Ooh. right? Also, Trust me. it's so smoky. It's always like such a gamble like, that you can't even see the fireworks anyway. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Here's the thing. There is an easier way to do like all of this. And it's a strategy that I have been using time in memoriam. And that is find a parent who has an office that has a rooftop like my dad did. And you just go there or a friend and you just you grab your drinks, you grab your snacks, you grab your binoculars. You can get your photos for the hashtag gram, if you will. Nobody cares about fireworks photos, guys. Let's be real. It's the same experience. It's less fighting and it's free. It's free. It's free. That's the most important part. Free, you need to have a thing be free on our day of freedom, right? Yes, Ooh. I love that. And Kayla, you are so right that like, I, I'm guilty of this too. Take, I got to get a picture of these fireworks. Nobody, you're never going to go back you're and never look at those gonna fireworks. Look at no. And nobody never. wants to see them. And so like, terrible. what are you doing? So even more casual things, what, what I like to do sometimes is you can get, um, a lot of restaurants will offer little these picnics that you can take Ooh. to go to like, wherever you're going, whether it be your friend's rooftop or fighting crowds in the National Mall. But like some restaurants like Ellington Park Bistro is offering this. Papatella is having, you know, this like charcuterie board picnic that you can buy and pick up. The Unconventional Diner is doing a fried chicken, you know, party picnic that you can pick up. And these are all quite affordable, like $50. You and four friends can pick it up, go somewhere, hang out for the evening, and watch the fireworks. Mm-hmm. Where are you guys' favorite spots to watch the fireworks for the fourth? Like, what are your secret, you know, what are your secret spots? Give it up. Why would I give away <laughs> my secret spot, Kayla? I can start. I can start. 
I, I usually go to the Cardozo High School up on the hill in Columbia Heights. It's like Ooh, always a party. Call. Like there's enough people where it's fun, but it's never too crowded. You can have a great view of the fireworks and you can get home without like any trap or for me in Columbia Heights you can get home without any traffic or, you know, ordeal. But sad news. This year, it looks like the school parking lot's going to be closed because they've gotten so many complaints over the years. So, Julia, Bridget, what are your favorite spots? Mine is probably my own home. <laughs> I don't have, like, a stellar view or anything, but, like, it honestly, it works for me. You see, you see some of them. You don't get the greatest view. Honestly, in Columbia Heights, like, the DIY hood fireworks are, like, I think more exciting than the actual, like, official city fireworks, even though they might technically be illegal, question mark. So I get a great view of those, which suits me just fine. Yeah. So I have, in the last couple of years, when it was, like, safe to go see people, have been going to my friend's apartment near the Noma Gallaudet metro stop. They have this huge, big, tall building and because it's near the Capitol, you can see, like, the Capitol fireworks, but you can also see all the, like, baby fireworks that happen all around the city. It's a nice little, like, mix of everything that, like, makes D.C. D.C. I will say, like, if you are going to go out and party hardy for 4th of July, one, please wear your sunblock. It's hot. It's gross. We do not want skin cancer and or melanoma happening around here. Also, please hydrate, guys. Hydrate or dehydrate. If you take one thing from this, please drink water. Always. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Thank you. These events will all be in Monday's newsletter, so subscribe if you're not already. You can text DC to 66866. If you're not, we also have a website, so you can do it the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kayla. Okay, so y'all know that we end every Friday news roundup with a DC life hack. Just a tip to make your life in DC a little bit easier or better. Kayla, what you got for us today? Okay, so... The tip for today has to do with group housing. As somebody who's lived in a lot of group homes um, throughout their D.C. life, my top tip for finding a comfortable place is to, first of all, make sure you check how many bathrooms there are. Like the bathroom to people mm. ratio is very important. Um, and my second tip is to ask if people have significant others and how often those people are over because that can really up your roommate count a lot, very quickly. Oh, yeah. No shade to any past roommates of mine who are listening. Uh, so we're going to be doing a whole episode on this soon. So we want to hear all of your hacks about how to stay sane when you're living in a group house and how to find a good one, how to find good roommates. So if you have any hacks, please shoot us an email at dc at citycast.fm. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producers are Elizabeth Kalma and Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cody Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Michael Schaefer and me, Bridget Todd. Music is by Alex Roldan. And if you enjoyed the show, tell someone who's staying in town for the 4th of July. We'll be back Monday morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Not true at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <not> true. <laughs> Never mind. Scratch that.